A very good Friday. Welcome to this edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Coming up in the show here today, we'll bring you feature agricultural news reports, and then we'll check in with national and regional agricultural news headlines as well. And we get started with regional agricultural news right after this. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit Phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with Phycoterra. According to the USA National Agricultural Statistics Service, stone fruit has been pruned to prepare for the dormant season. Fungicides have been applied to replace what was washed away by the rains. Pomegranate, persimmon, and table grape harvest continued. Tangerines and quince development progressed. Naval orange maturation was ongoing. Early varietal naval harvest has began in parts of Tulare County. Old citrus groves have been removed. Valencia orange, grapefruit, lemon, and lime harvest continue. And olive harvest has finished strawberry fields have been prepped for the planting season. In the nut crops, weeds were sprayed in select orchards. Older almond and walnut orchards have been removed to make room for new plantings. Walnut harvest continues to wind down for the season. And in vegetable crops, Stanislaus County broccoli and sweet potato harvest continue. In Tulare County, roadside stands continue to sell fall produce. Fields have been prepped and planted for winter plantings. Bell pepper harvest continues in the Coachella Valley. Garlic has been harvested. Lettuce harvest continues on the central coast. Quality issues have been reported in Salinas Valley. The United Farm Workers and other related organizations have announced that more than 60 of their farm worker members will travel to Washington, D.C. before Thanksgiving to push Congress to pass the Bipartisan Farm Workforce Modernization Act compromise legislation, which will honor farm workers' labor and help secure America's food supply. Farm workers from major agricultural states will be part of the delegation, including workers from Arizona, California, Oregon, Washington, Georgia, Michigan, Idaho, California, Texas. Texas and Virginia. The Farm Workforce Modernization Act passed the U.S. House of Representatives in March of 2021 with 247 votes and with 30 GOP votes, providing America's agriculture workforce with the legal status and ability that they have earned is a crucial factor in ensuring America's food security, according to UFW President Teresa Romero. She says on Thanksgiving, when Americans gather with family to give thanks for the food on their table, they ask Congress to show its thanks to essential farm workers and their families by passing this common-sense bipartisan legislation. Los Angeles-based Sweet Green, the mission-driven restaurant brand serving healthy food, has announced the opening of its first advanced order vehicle pickup window called Sweet Lane. It's located in Schaumburg, Illinois. The grand opening of Sweet Lane serves as the latest project of the company's evolving restaurant experience, testing new formats to meet customers where they are. As the first of its fleet, the Sweet Line provides an effortless experience for visitors and vehicles to pick up online orders through a drive-up window to order via Sweet 
Sweetline. Customers place their order through the Sweetgreen website app and choose Sweetlane as their desired retrieval method under the Select a Pickup Location. When our order is ready, guests can drive through the Sweetlane to pick up their meal. As they wait, guests can observe team members preparing orders with fresh ingredients through a round observation window, bringing an in-store experience to every touchpoint in a new format. Dine-in and pickup inside the restaurant will also be available. Grub Market has announced it has completed the acquisition of Naperville, Illinois-based Fresh Software Solutions, a proven and respected enterprise software provider that specializes in building solutions for fresh produce distributors, wholesalers, repackers, and food service suppliers across North America, according to a press release. Founded nearly 15 years ago, FSS is still run by its original owner, Steve Riley, a 20-year veteran of the food supply chain software industry. The company's core product is Time Software, a fully integrated cloud-based ERP system that enables owners and managers to handle all key business functions in one place. In addition to core features such as traceability and lot tracking, repacking and processing, sales order management, shipping and routing, AR and AP, detailed reporting and EDI, Time Software also supports comprehensive warehouse management, e-commerce capabilities for 24-7 online ordering via its web order entry solution and electronic document imaging, and management solutions. FSS will continue to be managed by its leadership team, and customers will have the opportunity to expand their software capabilities through additional modules offered by Grub Markets Order and Wholesaleware Products. Secretary of the California Department of Food and Agriculture Karen Ross and other state and local officials recently joined California Dairies Incorporated at a ceremony in Kern County, California, at a future site of CDI's new ultra-high-temperature and extended-shelf-life milk processing facility. CDI, the largest dairy farmer-owned cooperative in California and the second-largest in the United States, is building this state-of-the-art milk processing facility under the name Valley Natural Beverages. The project is being built in northern Kern County, a region with significant milk production, but no local processing facilities. Not only will this investment significantly reduce the transportation distances of milk produced in Kern County, it will also further demonstrate CDI's commitment to sustainable solutions by incorporating renewable energy sources and waste conservation as key priorities in facility and operational design. CDI and its family-owned dairy farms have a long history of prioritizing on-farm sustainability. In 2011, CDI co-founded Dairy Cares, a leading nonprofit pursuing research and innovation in the area of sustainable dairy practice in California. More recently, they adopted the U.S. Dairy Stewardship Commitment, which requires a rigorous set of reporting standards related to animal care, the environment, food safety, and giving back to communities. CDI also joined other cooperatives and dairy companies in the U.S. to set 2050 environmental stewardship goals, which include a goal to achieve greenhouse gas neutrality by the year 2050. The 220,000 square foot facility will be built on 30 acres of land in northern Kern County. The facility is expected to create approximately 100 new jobs when fully operational in 2023, according to CDI. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Soil disease suppression is the reduction in the incidence of soil-borne diseases even in the presence of a host plant and inoculum in the soil. 
The disease-suppressive capacity is mainly attributed to diverse microbial communities present in the soil that could act against soil-borne pathogens in multifaceted ways, according to Helier's Cassidy Million. The makeup of your microbial communities and the activity of those microbes in the soil is what contributes to this disease suppression. And microbials can facilitate this through multiple different mechanisms, including competition, parasitism, antibiosis, but really we can separate um, soil suppression into two general ways. Um, number one being a general suppression. So a general su soil suppression would be a soil that inhibits a growth or activity of pathogenic microbes. And this is usually due to a competitive or antagonistic total soil microbes that are present in the soil. So these microbes that you already have natively in the soil compete with those pathogenic microbes. And so, which is really neat is that many pathogenic soil microbes are usually dormant and they're dormant in the soil until they have some sort of food source or nutrient source. And that food source is usually from seed or root exudates or any added nutrients we're putting into the soil. So that's what stimulates those pathogenic microbes. And so when we have a really robust suppressive uh, microbial community, they outcompete those pathogenic microbes by using up that food source for, before those dormant pathogens um, can use it. So they kind of outcompete, outgrow those pathogenic microbes, giving it a general suppression. But also there is a specific suppression, which this is a really interesting concept in the, in the fact that the, there are specific microbes or species of microbes or a select few groups of microbes that give a really high level of protection against a specific pathogenic microbe. So this type of suppression is facilitated by microbes that secrete specific enzymes, toxins, metabolites, and that impede pathogenic growth or infection or interfere with some stage of the life cycle of these soil-borne pathogens. Suppression actually occurs naturally in the soil, Millian said, but it's only specific microbial species that do this. We don't know all of uh, the function that these microbes have. So pinpointing this is not the easiest um, thing to do. But what we've seen is there are specific examples out there. Um, for instance, we can look at wheat diseases. So this is really notable, not only in the U.S., but worldwide. Um, the disease is called take-all disease, and it causes root diseases in wheat. And so with this, this disease currently, there's really not a great form of um, resistance that's already bred into these cultivars. And what we found is that soil suppression actually reduces the incidence and severity of these, the diseases. And we've also found yield increases in these soils that have um, this natural soil suppression. Um, so specifically, they found out that in the U.S. and specifically the PNW, that a fluorescence um, pseudomonas species is responsible. So what pseudomonas does in this instance is produces an antibiotic compound. They found it's called DAPG, and they found that this is really abundant, um, specifically in the U.S., and that this is probably most likely the key species in suppressing this take-all disease in wheat. So we're as we move forward and as we sequence more microbiomes and understand this relationship a little bit better, I think we'll understand exactly which species are playing a key role. Um, but again, this is not an easy task to undertake as all soil types are different. And um, this is a, not a really simple interaction that we're, we're looking at.
While little is still known about suppressive soils in fields or orchards, there are a couple things growers can employ, such as cover crops or biosolarization, to facilitate the suppression process. A lot of these methods, management strategies, um, inputs are really similar to things we need to do to increase our overall soil health and our microbiome, microbiome activity. So a lot of these things are going to be similar to the same things we need to do to increase soil health. And the reason is, is that microbes are really um, the main part of creating a suppressive soil. So like you said, cover crops are a great way um, to improve your soil health, um, add water into the soil to keep those microbes active and not going dormant, as well as putting nutrient um, recycling back into the soil. Solarization is an interesting way, and there's been some studies going on to understand how does solarization lead to a suppressive soil. And currently they think that solarization aids in reducing pathogenic microbes, but it's also seen to um, increase the activity of those antagonistic microbes like that pseudomonas and bacillus species um, to help create those um, suppressive soils. But in addition to those, there's um, things we can do such as crop rotations, intercropping, um, tillage, as well as adding in organic inputs such as those manures and compost, as well as microbial inputs, all of those things that can keep those microbes act active, build up those antagonistic and beneficial microbes in the soil are practices we need to start um, adapting. And what we know to date about suppressive soils is that mainly this is mediated through your soil microbial communities and a shift in those communities. And this takes a long period of time to create. So it's adapting these practices and keeping them up um, will help us increase our soil health or organic matter and increase that diversity, abundance and activity of those microbes in your soil that in the end will help suppress those soil-borne diseases. In the instance where a field or orchard is void of its necessary microbial life and a grower is looking to build that back up primarily for disease-suppressive qualities, Millian said, a higher level of management will be required compared to normal soil health practices. If you're using these other carbon inputs, you might be needing to go out at multiple times through a season, higher application rates, um, you know, doing those things to get you a little bit further in a shorter period of time. So I think really higher management is probably the answer to that. Um, and really, really focusing on tracking your progress, what's working, what's not working. Um, but overall, and this has been a little controversial actually out in the literature of that a healthier soil produces a healthier plant. So in turn, you have less disease. Um, you know, that's been argued a little bit of that's true or that's not true, but I mean, I think as we learn and we see this and we understand suppressive soils, it's, it looks like that is the, the, the truth. Um, so, and they've done studies where we've had a depleted soil versus a soil that's healthy. And we've inoculated them both with a soil borne pathogen. And we see that there's higher disease in that soil that's lacking. Um, so really when we're looking at a soil that is more depleted and lower on soil health qualities, it's really higher management, um, and really focusing and creating a program that, um, one is going to be economically not, um, not the best for a grower, but in the long run, you will look at, you can maybe reduce your inputs from a fertility level or, um, your fungicide pesticides. If you're already creating this natural suppressive soil, you're listening to my ag life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. 
visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian Solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. More than 300 agriculture, environment, academic, and infrastructure stakeholder groups are calling on Congress to reaffirm federal pesticide preemption on labeling and packaging. Failing to do so, the group's warn could hold disastrous consequences for food security, the environment, public health, vital infrastructure, and other uses where pesticides provide important societal benefits. The Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act is clear that states shall not impose or continue in effect any requirements for labeling or packaging in addition to or different from those required by the federal government. However, in recent years, states have sought to impose health claim label requirements that directly contradict federal findings. In a letter to Congress, the groups call on Congress to reaffirm that states may not impose additional labeling or packaging requirements that conflict with federal findings. Leadership of the Senate Agriculture Committee last week called for more federal oversight of cryptocurrency exchanges. The comments come as cryptocurrency exchange FTX collapsed recently and a collapse of cryptocurrency prices followed. The Senate Agriculture Committee has jurisdiction over the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Chair Debbie Stabenow says that consumers continue to be harmed by the lack of transparency and accountability in this market. And ranking Republican John Bozeman says the events that have transpired reinforce the clear need for greater federal oversight of the digital asset industry. He adds, while the legislative work continues, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission already has the ability to regulate and prosecute fraud, manipulation, and abuse, and he strongly encourages them to actively exercise those authorities when necessary. The Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act of 2022, sponsored by Stabenow, would amend the Commodities Exchange Act to provide the Commodity Futures Trading Commission jurisdiction to oversee the spot digital commodity market. Agriculture has become a more important subject in climate change discussions over the last few years. USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. In Egypt, the UN's COP27 climate conference is into its second week. This has been an extraordinary COP27 in large part because agriculture and food has been elevated in the global climate discussions for the first time ever. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack on the phone with reporters Monday. He said the conference dedicated an entire day to issues around helping agriculture adapt to and mitigate climate change. And there were scores of side events focusing on agriculture. Vilsack said this was so different from when he attended his first COP meeting, COP 14, back in 2009. He said when it came to drafting the final conference document back then, there was a lot of argument and debate about whether or not. To essentially just put the word agriculture in the document, literally to put just a a phrase about agriculture in the document. But at this meeting 13 years later, agriculture is going to be more than a a sentence in a very long document. And he says at next year's COP meeting, there will no doubt be a showcase on agriculture. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. In 2021, households that included an adult with disabilities reported higher food insecurity rates than households with no adults with disabilities. USA's Economic Research Service reports that in 2021, for U.S. households that include an adult out of the labor force because of a disability, 28% were food insecure. Among U.S. households with an adult ages 8 to 64 who reported a disability but was not out of the labor force because of it, 24% were food insecure. In contrast, 7% of households with adults without disabilities or food insecure in 2021. Households that include at least one adult 65 and over who reported a disability had food insecurity rates similar to households with adults without disabilities 
at 9%. In 2021, the prevalence rate of very low food security for households that included adults not in a labor force because of a disability was more than five times that of households that included adults without disabilities. With the Environmental Protection Agency expected to release a renewable fuel standard proposal in a couple weeks, the biodiesel industry is calling on the agency to expand its RFS volumes on a much higher growth trajectory than the industry has ever seen. EPA is set to release what is expected to be a multi-year set of RFS volumes for 2023 and beyond on November 30th. Clean Fuels Alliance America CEO Donnell Rahegans says that his industry has always been in a position to produce more biomass-based diesel than what the RFS called for. Rehagen says they believe that the EPA should increase the biomass-based diesel volume by 500 million gallons and the advanced biofuels by 1 billion gallons for each of the next two years. He says they're seeing the production coming online of renewable diesel, one of the factors that Congress has directed the EPA to consider when they set the annual RFS volumes is a benefit for agricultural and for rural communities. They currently support 75,000 jobs and over $23 billion in economic opportunity so it's a substantial industry that this industry has grown into and creates a lot of value, particularly in the rural economies as well. Rehagan said his association sees the potential for becoming a 6 billion gallon industry, far larger than the current 2.76 billion gallons of biomass-based diesel set in the 2022 volumes by EPA. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Bee Hero, Superior Bees, Superior Pollination. Come celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Almond Conference. This year's agenda will be packed with content focused on helping growers improve ROI, including but not limited to water supply, pollination, irrigation, fertigation, rootstocks, and pest management. Make plans now to join your fellow almond industry members at the Almond Conference on December 6th through the 8th at the Safe Credit Union Convention Center in downtown Sacramento. Register now at almonds.com conference. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast and live and virtual events jcs marketing has the reach to inform educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast nut magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that is there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 